Hey there, welcome to the Book of Majora podcast, the podcast where we discuss the lore of the Legend of Zelda series. I'm your host, Crystal, and with me is Monica. Hello. And Cameron. Hi. This is episode re colon one final mix colon Breath of the Wild. <laughs> Good. Our remake of episode one, Breath of the Wild. We, 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 we've got room to expand a little bit, I think. Yeah. Or uh, would you would you like to call this episode twenty, uh, the twentieth episode of Book of Twenty? Episode twenty, the fifty-fifth episode of the Book of Medora. Something like that. Yeah. I wasn't there for the first one. Yeah. I mean, I listened to it. Yeah. Uh, wait, is that our shortest episode? Oh no, that's probably Hyrule Fantasy or Adventure of Link. Oh yeah, that would probably be right. I still think that the, our first episode was only about forty-five, maybe fifty minutes. Episode one's about less than an hour and a half, I think. Oh. Okay. It's not my fault. No, well, I mean, it's your fault. Oh, 118. Okay, I miss, I, I'm not remembering correctly at all. Now, that that is, during the episode, you asked me, like, oh, do you, are you sure you want to get deep into this? Because it might take a long time. And I said, yes. Our, um, our idea of what deep means evolved a lot after that first recording, as did our pacing. This will probably be a multi-part episode. Not sure how many parts, because Breath of the Wild is has a lot of stuff we get into, but it's not really as narratively dense as a game like Skyward Sword or Twilight Princess. I'd call it lore dense. Sure. Yeah. But there's not a lot to, like, recap as such. Recap? From the first episode. No, no, no. Just in terms of how we normally go through the plot of a given game. Right. Well, we can get into the backstory. Yes. The the 10,000 years ago. Yes. The question of 10,000 years ago does bring to mind something interesting, which is how did we get to this point with Ganon at all? What do you mean? Like, when did Ganon cease to be Ganon, Prince of Darkness, and become the Calamity? What did the Calamity even look like when it first appeared? Hold on, I have a, I have a mathematical formula for this I wrote down somewhere. <laughs> oh, that seems very much like something I should have expected. It is in the document that we are using in preparation for our, our thesis of this podcast. Oh, right. Our yes, dissertation. I- I, I need to get back to fleshing that out. And I need to review it. We need to argue a little about it a little bit. Yeah. In the first episode, did you two talk about the horned statue? I think we might have skipped that. Hmm. Because we can talk about Ganon, but we can talk about... <laughs> the, much further back. <laughs> much further back. Where she wrestles with this dark interloper. Right. She being Hylia. Because... Well, if the horn statue is not lying, and it is a demon, so it could be lying, but it has no real reason to lie. If it's telling the truth, it was sealed in a weird-looking statue in Hateno? Yes. Yes. And that's the statue where you can trade your life or stamina for, for rubies. rubies, and it allows you to shift your, your build and... Yes, it was supposedly sealed in by Hylia, 
herself. Uh, that's an interesting bit because it implies that the earliest direct, like the earliest event directly referenced by this game takes place back in the Great Demon War, back when Hylia still had physical personhood. Yes. Mm. And this it comes before even like Skyward Sword. Yes, it comes like before Hylia defeated Demise. Mm-hmm. And there are other things from Skyward Sword that are in Breath of the Wild. Oh, do as we? Well. Do we want to get straight into that? Well, we're going like the backest back we can, right? Okay, sure. Go on. Uh, the springs. Okay, I feel like this isn't being woven very much into a narrative. No, not really. Uh, okay, we'll get more into a narrative in a moment. Okay, okay. What? What do you? What? What, what do you? I was we saying, don't go have ahead. to really continue on there. I just wanted to lightly brush upon the back and back. Oh, go and now ahead. we can jump forward to the ten thousand years ago. Well, I mean, we, and Organon. I guess in a way, the statue in Hateno Village, which contains an ancient demon that has been around since the war that predates recorded history, the original war for the Triforce between what we think to be the spirits of good and the demons who rose up out of the earth, according to the stories that humans would later tell, is sort of a framing device by which we can understand something that is said much later in the continuity, that the history of the royal family of Hyrule is also the history of the Calamity, Ganon. And the royal family of Hyrule is specifically descended from the god of the Hylian people, Hylia. The first of them was Zelda, literally Hylia reborn. And though Hylia was never reborn after that Zelda died, you speak to her in this game and she is back to being part of some outside-of-time pantheon. Mm-hmm. The power of the blood of Hylia carries forward into the future. And that is the basis by which we might understand the provenance of the kingdom of Hyrule. Somehow, through all of that time, they've never lost her general worshipped shape either. Yes, though it has faded from the public eye from time to time. Mm -hmm. Back during the events of Ocarina of Time... We actually don't know who was worshipped by what in Ocarina of Time. It seems that people were mostly focusing on much more minor gods. Like the Triforce gods weren't worshipped in any significant way that we could see. Hylia's name is never even uttered except in reference to a lake that's named after her. But um, yeah, yeah, she, she's worshipped pretty much throughout. And more than that, the bloodline of the Hyrulean royal family is unbroken which keeps Hylia's great power extant in the physical world. And Ganon is sort of the apotheosis of the great evil against which the subjects of Hylia have been setting themselves for however many thousands of years. Crystal, you mentioned that you think that the gap between Skyward Sword and the 10,000-year-ago war is probably shorter than 10,000 years. Uh, yes, I would think so. I, I, it's, I, there is a line in the Historia that says Skyloft was in the sky for millennia, so at least 2,000 years, let's say. Sure. And then a lot of the games between here are tied to... Ganondorf, at least in the imprisoned timeline. The one man. 
Yes, and I think that was probably less than a thousand years total. It feels more like centuries than millennia. Yeah, and then may- maybe there's some big gaps between like Four Swords Adventures and A Link to the Past, and between like Zelda Two and Zelda One and Zelda Two, and like A Link to the Past, but maybe no more than a couple thousand years. That would mean that the period of peace that Hyrule experiences, which we'll get into in just a minute, is longer than the entire era of strife that Ganon and the other demons represent. Yes. I think we may have considered this before, but it's possible that the incidents described in the 10,000-year lore happened before any of the games or some of the games. So some of the games could be wedged in the middle. Oh, yes, yes. With regards to like Triforce Heroes. Triforce Heroes definitely could. Um, I once flirted with the idea of maybe the 10,000 years war, 10,000 years ago war was the demon war, but it doesn't really work. Well, you, mm, you know, you could make the argument that What if the 10,000 years ago war actually predated the demon war? Oh. Like, Ganon is just this beast that predates all the great demon kings. But he was sealed in with all the guardian stuff. Yes. And then he reappears or reincarnates? Well, everyone... Okay, this is kind of going back into my bullshit. But it's like you aspire to be Ganon. Mm -hmm. And you can be Ganon, but there's only one calamity. But the calamity's there. The calamity is always there, roiling beneath the earth. The real demon that spawns the wars that rise up out of the ground, if you want. The only problem with that is that it supposes that there's a version of Hyrule that predates the founding of Hyrule as we know it. Yeah, I don't think that quite works. Well. Uh, Then you can also, like, that would also assume multiple Ganons at a time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Uh, Yeah, fair enough. I think I do ultimately prefer the idea that Breath of the Wild is just really, 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 really far in the future from everything else. Yeah, that makes sense. I do like the idea of like an era of peace ushered in a peace so long that, you know, it's longer than, well, human reckoning. You were saying, Crystal? Link and Zelda 1 were such good monarchs that the only thing that could break the peace is the Triforce. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. Are, are we doing that according to the reading where this all takes place at the end of the timeline? Yes, after long after the Triforce has merged the timeline so that Ganon can rule all, as oh, is yes. the wish deep in his heart. I right. did find my mathematical formula. Oh, yes. Okay, so. Demise equals an incarnation of hatred endlessly reborn via curse. Mandragmire Ganondorf equals hunger to rule all. Ganon equals hunger within Mandrag's hearts plus curse of demise. Calamity Ganon equals hunger within Mandrag's heart plus curse of demise in parentheses. 
times Wish on the Triforce. Ah, taking me back to the algebra class. What's on the other side of this equation? Calamity Ganon. Yeah, Calamity Ganon is the end product. I see. So, basically, in order to describe the conflict of 10,000 years ago, we have to describe the players in the conflict. We've basically outlined the idea of what the Hyrulean royal family is. They are the guardians of the sacred power of the Triforce, which is the engine of creation. And they are also the literal wielders of the power of Hylia, who Mm -hmm. is the guardian god of all of their people. And we know at the time there was active worship of Hylia. Yes, absolutely. There was a giant temple later forgotten. Yes. What Crystal just outlined is the basic premise of what gave rise to the Calamity Ganon. And for any of our listeners who begin listening here, and God help you, because we're going to make references to lore decisions that were come to over the course of this entire podcast, it basically comes down to this. Thousands of years ago, in a space that may or may not have been outside of time, Demise was killed by the first hero wielding the master sword. And as he died, Demise placed a curse upon the soul of the hero and the blood of the goddess that an incarnation of his hatred would hound them for all time. Now, to the best of our understanding, the birth of the man, Ganondorf, is not actually related to that curse. It takes place in timelines where Demise's curse should not be reflective. But what does happen is that the man Ganondorf in Four Swords Adventures finds a trident, the treasure of the demon tribe, which is said to hold the power to destroy the world. And I can't remember if you two agreed with this, but I've always sort of held to the idea that that trident is demise's grudge taken physical form yes there are two specific quotes from four swords adventures that can be used to support this first is the inscription uh placed above the tridents which is we grant you the power to ruin the world the power of darkness evil spirit of magic tridents you are the king of darkness and the other quote is made by princess zelda in reference to ganon King of Darkness, Ancient Demon Reborn, the wielder of the Tridents. So Ganondorf, the man, is the person who takes the power of the curse into himself and becomes Ganon in one particular timeline. This is sort of similar to the way that Ganondorf seeks power in the timeline in which Ocarina of Time takes place, though in that case he seeks the power of the Triforce. But Ganondorf himself is relatively consistent. The other element of this is that Ganondorf, when killed, stays dead. Wind Waker Ganondorf, you might argue that he's been sealed away rather than killed, that somewhere beneath the sea he could still be alive within that statue. Twilight Princess Ganondorf bites it and he's fucking gone. It's only in that one timeline, the timeline of Four Swords Adventures, Link to the Past, The Legend of Zelda, the Oracle games, where Ganon keeps dying over and over and over and he continues to return. The big difference between 
that Ganon versus Ganondorf who can who stays dead is that this Ganon gets the Triforce and wishes on it to grasp hold of the entire cosmos. In Link to the Past. In Link to well, in the backstory of Link to the Past. Yes. It's explained to us by a tree that <laughs> Ganondorf that Ganon made a wish to rule not just the world, but everything. Not the Deku tree, just a tree. A guy turned into a tree. A guy turned into a tree, <laughs> as was the style in Link to the Past. <laughs> and Ganon's wish is reflected in that the sacred realm becomes the dark world, a world that reflects his heart and changes the people inside of it so that their form reflects their heart, too. Which suggests to me that all the monsters in Link to the Past were actually human, and Link to the Past Link killed a lot of fucking humans. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so Ganon makes this wish on the Triforce, and our understanding of that wish is that it was made... The Triforce will grant a wish with an intensity that matches the strength of the heart that makes that wish. And the way we read it is that Ganon's wish was so powerful, so terrible, that it echoed out across everything. Not just space, but also time. And timelines. Well, yes, that is exactly what I meant to say, yes. Um, so... That is the explanation for how, in the background of the Wind Waker, Ganondorf breaks through the perfect seal of the Triforce gods. The wish echoes, and the seal cracks. That is how Ganondorf, in the backstory of Twilight Princess, regains his consciousness in the midst of his dissolution. And it is what keeps Ganon coming back to life in that one accursed timeline. Ganon returns over and over, not because of something inherent to him or to the curse of demise, but because the Triforce has changed the very fabric of the universe so that Ganon cannot ever truly be gone. And because it is the Triforce doing this, it is going to continue doing that until Ganon's wish is fulfilled which is why the Triforce can't be used to simply wish Ganon away. Further, our understanding, based on material from different games, and Triforce Heroes is definitely one of those now, is that over time, the separate timelines slowly just came together, growing more and more similar until they were but one. And in this one the spirit of Ganondorf overlapped with itself three times, and the calamity is born from the intensity of the wish and the deep, hungry evil of that one man. Is it Crystal's formula? It is Crystal's formula, yes. This was, this was me illustrating Crystal's formula. That's what this was. So Ganon keeps returning over and over to wage war with Hyrule, and there's always a war waged against him, both by the blood of Hylia and the soul of the hero, who we haven't mentioned up to this point in the story, except as the killer of Demise. But there is always a hero who rises to fight Ganon, wielding the Master Sword, which is a weapon made specifically to countermand the very power that shapes the universe, and they keep fighting Ganon over and over and over. But he is gone for times after he's defeated. And during one of those times in this cycle, the Sheikah, who are 
the original servants of Hylia, advanced greatly in terms of their technology and their incorporation of magic into that technology. And when it is thought that Ganon will return, they build an army. This army consists of autonomous soldiers called guardians that fight with laser beams, essentially. They're not really laser beams. They're more like plasma casters, but they look like laser beams and they're super cool. And they also make these big animal mecha called the Divine Beasts that shoot really big laser beams. And the current living Zelda is like, all right, we're going to do this. And the hero gets his Master Sword and he's like, okay, we're going to do this. And then Ganon returns and there is a war. Why do you think it was necessary for the Sheikah to build an army of autonomous robots well i think that there's two possible readings you can get out of this one of which i think is a lot more common and is sort of lent to by the way that both the king and impa in breath of the wild talk about the conflict of ten thousand years ago um crystal would you say that the game textually supports the idea that the battle with Ganon was extremely one-sided, basically a victory lap for the forces of the light. Yes, I think that is clearly implied when Ganon was killed so good that he cannot resurrect for 10,000 years. So we take it to be more of a, we had an easy cheat, a hack, rather than there was no way other than this to do this. Hyrule is not interested in a fair fight. Hyrule wants to keep Ganon dead for as long as possible. Yes, and that does seem to be the thing that they did. But there is one problem with this reading, in that there is a fair amount of evidence in the game itself, not spoken by characters, but written into the environment, into ruins, into mountainsides, into corpses that suggests that the battle was not so simple nor so contained as the history would have us believe. Before you get into that, okay, do you think that Ancient Link was riding the Master Cycle Zero? Uh, um, okay, Crystal, are you familiar with the Master Cycle Zero? Yes, it is uh, an ancient Sheikah motorcycle. <laughs> it's not just an ancient Sheikah motorcycle. It is Link's personal divine beast. Oh, Yes. Th- this the, the monk like, tells you that. Yes, it yeah, it's the fifth divine beast. Um it it's gone into quite a bit in the Ballad of Champions, but um if you read it that way, the the Ballad of Champions is basically Link walking in the footsteps of the other champions who had to perform their own trials before they could pilot their divine beasts. And This is Link doing his own trial so that he can pilot his divine beast, which turns out is a horse. That's a motorcycle. It's like a unicorn. It's like a unicorn. They wanted to make it a wolf originally. Yeah, that didn't turn out that way, did it? The unicorn's cuter. Yes, very true. What's with wolves? Is is that just Alnima loving wolves or what? Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. Dude loves some wolves. Twy princess. The history says that it was a very one-sided fight, but... There is damage to Hyrule that suggests otherwise. There's a mountain in the Hebra range which has an enormous side taken out of it as if it was melted by something that l- obliterated the mountainside so perfectly and so cleanly 
that what remained behind was a perfect semicircle of polished glass. It was glassed. It is so smooth that Link, who has no trouble climbing ice or glass, literally cannot climb it. That's just Hebra, isn't it? That's just Hebra. Mm-hmm. It is the one place where that particular surface exists is on the side of the mountain directly above a shrine at its base. Mm-hmm. That shrine was placed there after the damage to the mountain was done. And there's a giant canyon. There is an enormous canyon. Is it shaped in the same way? It kind of looks like a gouge. But I guess all canons, canyons kind of do. It's named a particular something, but I didn't look this part up. Um, regardless, uh, that's not the only geographical evidence, but there are other things. Crystal, what do you make of the giant skeletons that cover Hyrule? Oh, you mean the skeletons of the Leviathans? Um, no, but go ahead and talk about those. Well... They're the skeletons of some big old whales and whale-esque creatures that can be found. There's three three of them in Hyrule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One Elden, one in Hebra, and one in the Gerudo Desert. Is that correct? Yes. That appear to correspond to the Windfish, uh, the Oceus, and, uh, oh, what's his name? Levius, yes. So what what did you, uh, the researchers of the Leviathans for whom you need to take photographs suggest that the Leviathans died many thousands of years ago. And there is sort of a thing where they're all trying to figure out what could have killed the Leviathans. And they all come to different conclusions based solely on where their bodies were found. Crystal, how do you read the deaths of the Leviathans? The three researchers tried to come up with, like, environmental, ecological explanations for what killed the Leviathans. But perhaps it could be that they were killed by intentional violence. Mm-hmm. Like, with a big laser. Oh, a big laser, huh? Well, I mean, Ganon does shoot lasers. Um, A god-killing thing, yes. because these are gods. The, yeah. Minor gods, but... For our listeners... Ganon or Ganondorf does have a long history of murdering gods. But I was actually talking about the other skeletons that dot Hyrule. Uh, Bokoblins often make forts inside of them, but there are even larger ones out in the Gerudo Desert. There are rib cages larger than Gerudo Town, just lying exposed in the winds that easily dwarf the size of the Leviathans. The ones in the desert aren't... um... Those sand things? No, they're not Molduga. They're way too big. Hmm. What do you make of all these giant monster skeletons, Crystal? Seems like something killed them. Yes. Now, the question as with regards to that is, do you think that these monster skeletons came from the conflict in that happens a hundred years before the events of Breath of the Wild? Or did they happen before that? Mm-hmm. I would say before. I... You're right that Hyrule has a lot of scars, but I interpret this more as being reflective of its really, 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 really long history, such that the gap between Zelda 2 and the 10,000 Years War might itself be way longer than 10,000 years. That's an interesting thought, and that may well be the case. 
But even given that, we know that these bodies were not left behind during the 10,000 years of peace. And I think the easiest conclusion to draw based on the evidence that we have and the stories that we know from the other games is that these bodies were also dropped during the battle with the Calamity 10,000 years ago. Oh, it's the Breach of Demise. The Breach of Demise. Oh, yes, that canyon. That's pretty bad. There's also a giant tree stump called the Giant Tree Stump. Oh, right. Giant Tree Stump. Dead Deku Tree. A very, yeah. It's it, plainly it's a dead Deku, Deku tree. tree. Yeah. So the battle, in short, was, was bad. I'm suggesting that the Battle of 10,000 Years Ago was not a battle so much as it was a war mm-hmm. that the Sheikah brought their weapons to because there was no other way for them to win. I concur. That the battle that took place involved all the different arrayed forces of Hyrule, including the guardian gods of the elements, Levius, Oceus, and, oh lordy, the Windfish. And that the toll wrought by this battle was so high that there was nothing that they could do to end it definitively. Because sealing Ganon for 10,000 years is very good, but... There is a problem beneath that. When you speak to the monks who were alive 10,000 years ago after completing one of the trials of strength, they tell you that your success in those shrines subverts a prophecy of doom. Ruin. I'm sorry. A prophecy of ruin. They knew 10,000 years ago that calamity would befall the kingdom of Hyrule. In this time, knowing that, I can only believe that they sealed Ganon away in the particular form that they did, and then hid away all of their technology, specifically because he was about to win the battle in the way that he would win that same battle 10,000 years later. I didn't reach that conclusion per se. Okay. The conclusion that I had was that they... They had no other way to win other than using these weapons, but they knew that that would come to bite the country in the ass. Why would they know that? But via prophecy. Who can give prophecies? Frank Woods. <laughs> what? Zelda? Frank Woods from Call of Duty Black Ops 2. What did Frank Woods do? Hold on, let me let me Frank Woods speech Black Ops 2. Oh lord. Can we just say Hazel from Watership Down? Uh, hold on. Hazel's a prophet. Aside, uh, aside from the fact I'm still alive, none of this surprises me. Technology got stronger, but we got weaker. We built computers, robots, whole unmanned armies. But no one ever asks, what happens when the enemy steals the keys? So you're looking at the Guardians as a thing for unmanned drones. Yes. I see. What about you, Monica? Well, they're hackable robots. Hackable in the sense that Ganon can take control of them, yes. Yes. I guess what I'm suggesting is that the reason that they went to all the trouble of burying the Guardians was that, and the Divine Beast, is that at the end of the battle with Ganon, he was already trying to take control of them. And they buried these things with the hope that at the day of his inevitable return, He would spend his time and his power continuing that same plan and be left 
controlling things that were deep beneath the earth and unable to lend him aid. But there's a problem with that, because as good as it is to be able to seal Ganon away for however long, the seal is imperfect, and the, it does not rely on the sealing power of the royal family. The funny thing about the way that the game frames the Battle of 10,000 years ago is that we're led to believe that the Calamity Ganon was sealed away by that era's princess wielding the power of Hylia. But at the end of the game, we find that Ganon was basically in a magic jar that Hyrule Castle was built on top of, and that for 10,000 years, the royal family maintained that seal by the power of their blood. But that means that the power of the princess was not used to seal Ganon away. The technology was. So why wasn't the power of the princess used? I'm not sure that it necessarily means it wasn't used in sealing him. Okay. But do continue. Everything about this conflict suggests to me that in truth they had a battle they could not win. Ganon was taking control of the entire army. The gods had been slaughtered in the sky. The land itself had been shattered. Monsters the size of villages still roamed. And we are left with this image of the hero and the princess in the middle of this storm doing battle against Ganon. But they do not kill him. Instead, they imprison him which is very, very different from the usual method of dealing with Ganon, and in fact is very different from the method that ends up being used at the end of Breath of the Wild. Mm -hmm. The prophecy in the era of 10,000 years ago was so specific that the followers of Hylia were confident in the way that Zelda would end up using the power of the Triforce to seal Ganon away. But that being the case... That means that either A, they think that the battle ends with a seal that is less effective than the one that they used, or B, that they are the ones who used an imperfect seal because they could not perform the perfect solution of wielding the Triforce against Ganon. Where are you going with this? What I'm suggesting is that Ganon being sealed beneath Hyrule Castle was a last-ditch emergency effort. A plan B, if you want. Because of the two essential figures for sealing him away, one was not able to perform their duties. Hmm. We talked about this before, you and I. Yeah. No, I remember discussing that part. I think that it's very possible that for whatever reason, the princess of that era was not able to use the sealing power. I don't know if I agree with that anymore. Go on. Well, firstly, I guess, is that... They achieved a seal that lasted for longer than any other imprisonment of Ganon or death of Ganon. Sure. And sealing has happened. Ganon has been sealed in the sacred realm. Yes. Um, I agree about the protracted war. Mm-hmm. And we discussed, I, I mentioned that knowledge that Ganon would strike and use the same weapons that you know, Hyrule had wielded, it could be brought on by prophecy. Sure. We have a person who can deliver prophecy. Right. And there's 
I liked the idea that I think the two of you discussed, I think in the the first episode, where maintenance of the female line, the female royal line, ensured the the seal was maintained that entire time. Oh, that's canon. Right. To me, that's that's just canon. And it's just that when Zelda reached adulthood in Breath of the Wild and didn't reach Could- that control. Shit broke. Shit broke. She could not, she was not wielding the Triforce at that time, therefore shit broke. The mm. seal is still Triforce based. Uh, you're not wrong. But then in that case, why didn't they prepare any other means by which to defend against Ganon? Why bury not just their machines, but also their knowledge? There was a prophecy that these things would be used against them. Fair enough. I wanted to discuss another thing from 10,000 years ago, or from before the 100 years ago. Sure. That I think is, that takes place 10,000 years ago. And that's evidence of a group of people that died out. Okay. And you see their ruins all over Hyrule. It, let's talk about this after Ganon sealed. Okay. Ganon sealed away. Sorry, could you just hit me again with how Ganon was sealed for 10,000 years? Basically, Ganon's body is destroyed. And when Ganon's body is destroyed, the purple smoke that is the calamity that players see at the beginning of the game is sealed in a massive gourd-shaped chamber beneath Hyrule Castle. It kind of looked like a star observation place. A, 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 oh, uh, God, you've made the word go out sorry. of my fucking head. Planetarium. Observatory? <laughs> a planetarium. Or- Does it look like a planetarium? I thought so. There were little, like, constellations all over. Yeah, I think those are magic. Magic circles. So basically, Ganon's body is destroyed, but his spirit, Immortal, is sealed beneath the grounds of Hyrule Castle, and that seal is capped off by the power of the Triforce itself. And they sank the giant claws that are around the castle. Yes. Well, pillars. Christ, please call them pillars, because they are pillars of stone. They are not claws. And this is the third time you've confused the shit out of me with this. <laughs> Crystal, don't they look like a giant claw? Yeah, they're like, they're angled. Yeah. Pillars aren't angled. What? <laughs> what is the pillar holding up? Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> I'm not doing this with you two. I'm not. But a funny anecdote in the, in the art book. Um... They mentioned drawing out those clawed pillar things. Yeah. And they mentioned that they wanted the guardians to burst out of all of the red dot areas. Just pour out from inside. And not just burst out, but like unscrew, like a screw popping out. That's so silly. I just wanted to share that with everybody because that's a hilarious image. Okay, Crystal, how do you read the 10,000 year war? Zelda sealed him good old-fashioned style. What? Link hit him real good with the Master Sword, and then Zelda sealed Ganon with her sealing power. Underneath Hyrule Castle. Yeah. And that's like, that's the, that's the entire, that's the whole thing? That's yeah, the That's not? the whole war? <laughs> well, you know, obviously the battle was won with great sacrifice. Okay, so we're generally agreed that it was a battle of great sacrifice. Yeah. I can I get back to my yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 okay yeah. I mean, I mean I just wanted to settle the question of the war itself okay because like 
then shooting off in other directions after it's, that. No, no, no it's sense. related to the Great War. Oh, okay, sure. Oh. Are you getting it now? Ah, yeah. So, back to these ancient peoples. You see these ruins across Hyrule, and the giant labyrinths are included in them, but there's also a whole bunch of ruins around the Farron region. And one in particular is called the Zonai Ruins, one area. Right. And they're distinguished by their giant pillars that are sort of dragon-shaped. And Eastern also, dragon. Also that big statue that is just a big dragon head. Right. A whole shrine at the foot of the Spring of Courage, actually. Yes. That's dragon-shaped. These were peoples who were adept at fighting. Mm-hmm. And they were apparently the people who wore the barbarian armor. Yes. To boost their fighting skill. Dragon worshippers. Dragon worshippers. Who were at some point wiped out. And it seems pretty clear to me that these people, which the, the art book's called the Zonai people. I don't know if that's necessarily their name. Were a, a sect of Hylians mm-hmm. that... Sort of mirrored the Sheikah and how the Sheikah were adept at technology and and the mystical. We'll call them. Ad- we'll call them the Zonai. Sure, the Zonai. The they Zonai. were adept at the physical. They masters of their own bodies. Right, and it seemed to flow to me that if the Sheikah are those that serve Zelda and Hylia, that the Zonai were people who either served. Or worshipped or were followers of the hero. Oh. Oh, that's fucking sick. I like that. (laughs) And in the Great War, they were probably the initial peoples who fought and were nearly wiped out by Ganon. And, you know, effectively wiped out by Ganon while the Sheikah were rallying and building their technological robot. So you're seeing this as being a two-staged war where the dragon worshippers basically hold off all the forces of darkness by themselves while the Sheikah prepare some kind of solution to the problem. Yes. That's the coolest fucking thing anyone ever said. See, that's why I wanted, like, I was really sad when we had to postpone last week. That That would super tie into why the Sheikah enshrine the garb and attire of the barbarian people at the heart of their own shrines that are set in the labyrinths. You know what would also explain is oh. why Link looks so funny in the... Yes! In, oh, yes. man, I, I wanted to share that, too, because but thank the, you, Crystal. Because the barbarian helm is covered in red hair. Yes. Oh, shit. That was my, my crowning... Um, twist moment but i'm so glad crystal that you also thought of it link was garbed as a barbarian (laughs) as it it gets explained yeah okay so the link the hero of that era is himself a member of the zonai people yes that you know what that tracks especially if he's like some kind of great leader of them and he was literally the last at the end i guess he doesn't necessarily have to live through the fight he just has to wound again Mm -hmm. huh Oh, that's pretty cool. I like that. I oh. knew you would like it. Oh, that's fu- oh. <laughs> oh, that's fucking sick. I like that a lot. 
But there's one thing about this whole conflict that always gets to me on reflection and that it's not a victory. Mm-hmm. It is a battle deferred. We couldn't seal the deal completely. Not completely. Ganon's not dead. He's in a hole. And that might keep him out of the way for longer than being dead. But when he comes back, there's going to be a fucking problem. And we don't have the tools to pull him out and put him in, like, permanent out of commission. They couldn't do it. The thing I like of it is similar, but it's just the thought that if you were made to choose between a temp, like a ceiling of Ganondorf or Ganon that lasts a couple hundred years and then, you know, the next generation has to deal with their own version or an era of peace that spans 10,000 years and then the near wipeout of your kingdom. You know, it interests me if that Zelda and, you know, those heroes back then made the choice of the latter. I, I'm not saying that it was even a choice between the two. I think that this was the only thing they could do. Like this yeah, was, I'm just saying the choice is interesting to me, too. And I think that after it was finished, they got a prophecy that said, uh, y'all, the world's going to fucking end because of what we just did. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Just, just the whole thing about deferring the problem of trying to defeat Ganon and it it's it's leaving the ultimate solution to your children and their children and their children and it's interesting to me because in that way Breath of the Wild actually echoes Wind Waker because it's a story about how we have been failed by our forebears mm-hmm. to be fair 10,000 years is a pretty good amount of time to figure it out. <laughs> it is a pretty good amount of time. Um, not as good an amount of time if you actively obfuscate and hide the information about the problem. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fun. So we get 10,000 years of peace. That's pretty good. That's really good. It lets Triforce Heroes happen, and that's the best multiplayer Zelda. Are we sticking Triforce Heroes here? Around here. I think we already did. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I mean, not necessarily, but it's like, yeah, it's in, it could be in there. Yeah. It wouldn't hurt. It wouldn't hurt nothing if it was in there. It's just clearly Hyrule is such that the spirits of good of Hyrule have time to goof around. Crystal, I'm still not signed on for this. We're <laughs> going to have an argument over the timeline thing where we talk about whether or not the Hytopians are spirits of good. <laughs> Styla. Styla. Isla, who begat Styla. God damn it. Um, I, I, I regret using the word begat in that episode so many times. I'm not. Yeah. So looking at the the tapestry of um, In Breath of the Wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty intricate for what it is. Um, I think Around the Borders is written in Hylian the what's in the game right because the, it was decoded before the release of the game right 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 what did because that people s- are just awesome linguists and what did that say it's the lore from the game oh impa recounts oh okay that, somebody recounts that's very cool yes impa recounts that's sick but you can also see on the borders things like um the king of the time was uh. there and I think instructing the Sheikah to build the machines. That's the top right. Um, you see all the guardian 
the divine beasts and people piloting the divine beasts. And I wondered because they don't really look like Gorons or Zora or Gerudo or Gerudo. They may have just been Sheikah. Could have I been. don't know. It's hard to tell. They're wearing the armor, I think. Yeah, it's not perfectly representative, this art style. And then in the bottom, you can see the the split of the Sheikah, uh, the persecution leading I, to... I do not like the characterization that was put forth in supplementary material where the Sheikah are persecuted. Well, look at the art and let me know. Well, the division. Okay, the division. Supplementary? Sure. Wasn't it's it like, in the actual about, game? Yeah, it's in the game. Oh, when did they talk about the Sheikah being oppressed? Oh, hold on. Yiga Clan Wiki. Oh, and Lord. Pull up let the, me, the tapestry. Yeah, I'm going to get some quotes here. Give me a second. Let's see. Uh, quote Kado from Breath of the Wild. At one point, our technology was praised as the power of the gods, but eventually the people turned on it, turned on us. Our creations came to be viewed as a threat to the kingdom. The Sheikah became outcasts, forced into exile. Right there. That is the story as told by the Yiga, yeah. But in the bottom right corner of the tapestry, and you should think this is a crystal, that's clearly the like Hylian soldiers. And the Sheikah, as you can tell from the, the right-sided eye, are fleeing. Uh, that's actually not, I think, necessarily the conclusion that you have to draw. They're fleeing. No, listen. Okay. I'm not saying that that's not the Sheikah. Or rather, that it they're not being chased. Because they plainly are in the lower right-hand corner of the big tapestry that's used to illustrate when Impa talks about the past. They are. But the thing here is that okay the other thing is that it also shows a split yeah and there are two things that happen one group of sheikah flee toward the statue of hylia Mm -hmm. and i guess they return to the worship of hylia Mm -hmm. the other group of sheikah turn and stand their ground and turn upside down the hylia eye as you can see in the third and yep. the fourth figures. So that does show the split. And they raise a spear. And they do raise a spear, yes. The same spear that they're being chased with before. So that does seem to show in the visuals that the Sheikah were militarily suppressed afterward, that there was some resistance to heeding the call of destroying their technology. This is a Sheikah mural, isn't it? Yes. It is, yes. And the story before is told by Kado, the Sheikah Bowmaster. Right, and Impa. But there's still a division here, I think. Between Who are those figures in the lower left? That's the king. Behind the king. I don't know. The mole Pig people. <laughs> the thing is that there's still a division between the Sheikah who are subjugated by the king versus the Sheikah who build the shrines to prepare for the future. They were not stopped. They, under the guidance of Hylia, still made their preparations. Mm-hmm. Now, it's possible that they did this after being cast down. I went this entire time thinking that wasn't textually supported that sharply outside of what Kato said, but it is here in their mural. 
I think those little guys behind the king are just Hillian civilians. Yeah. They're saying, like, yeah, drive him out. Yeah, Hate drag those guys. No, it's interesting because you see, like, them worshipping, I guess, the king on the top right. But on the top left, they're sort of, like, burning a forest. They seem to be, like, cutting down a forest. Yes, tilling the land, mastering it, as is the thing that one does in these societies. It's an interesting thing here, though, because a king in Hyrule should not have that authority. Right. Especially after the fall of the Calamity, when the blood of the goddess Hylia is passed down along with the Triforce, daughter to daughter to daughter. Mm -hmm. The idea that a king would be able to pass such a decree is ludicrous, save in the case where there is no actual crown princess. Right. So Zelda at the time must have either died. This is another thing, I suppose. Yeah. I I could see perhaps a king, be they an actual king or the prince consort, losing Zelda and then blaming the Sheikah for not doing it well enough. Not to mention, if Zelda had survived through this war, she would not have cast out the Sheikah. No. Only kings made bad decisions. Yes, only as we are shown in 100 years before Breath of the Wild, it's primarily kings who fuck this up. It is our fathers who fail us, and our mothers who just aren't fucking around. But okay, yes. Not around. I was was wrong, and it does seem that the Sheikah were actually subjugated. My bad. But I, I think there is stuff here to indicate, like you said, that Zelda was gravely wounded or died or something. Yes. Cool. So, yes. The Sheikah are driven out and there are Sheikah who return to the embrace of Hylia and build the shrines in anticipation of the prophecy of Ganon's return. And there are the Sheikah who split off from them seeking to preserve their place of power and becoming the Yiga. Now, the question here is, do we agree that they probably buried the Guardians and Divine Beasts with the anticipation that they would not be unearthed? They were hoping, I think, that that wouldn't happen. What do you think, Crystal? Why would they bury them rather than destroy them? The only thing I can think... Okay, for me, there's two possibilities. One... Sheikah technology at this point is no longer being produced, and without Sheikah technology, they don't have the means to effectively destroy these things. It is simpler to bury them. That's if you want to see the burying of the Guardians and the Divine Beasts as being an act of the King. If you see it as being an act of the Sheikah, I think it's in anticipation of Ganon's return. Regardless, there probably are solutions that could have been reached, if not for the fact that the King turned on the faithful servants of the god. Mm-hmm. Always a Rauru. <laughs> There's always a Rauru. Yeah, basically. Is Daphnis the least bad of those? I I think Rauru's the least <laughs> bad. <laughs> All right, you know what? Fair enough. I shit on Rauru too hard. But I mean, like, of the kings that we see actually being kings, Daphnis is probably the least bad at effectively protecting his kingdom, right? And I say that as the person who put forth that he actually destroyed Hyrule. Um, there's like the Minish Cap King. <laughs> that dude's a what do you chumpo. Do? He didn't do anything. Zelda 2 backstory king. 
No, he left very vague instructions. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he left a power structure that enabled his son to effectively destroy the kingdom. And, like, not doing anything, that's, that's pretty bad. But, you know, Daphnis destroyed the kingdom in anticipation of being able to save its people. That's okay when you're facing Ganon. It's a fuck of a lot better than what happened here. Ocarina King, what brought peace to the lands... Um, you ain't wrong. Mm. He did trust Ganondorf, though. That's a pretty yeah. bad mistake. Well, it was the first time anyone trusted Ganondorf, so, I mean, everybody gets <laughs> one. <laughs> um, I really like the Sheikah mobilizing to to try to take care of the Prophecy of Ruin. Well, that's just the thing. In spite of the fact that they're depicted here as fleeing from the Hylian military, the Sheikah are way too powerful for them to have actually been martially threatened. Mm-hmm. Like, they control the Guardians. They theoretically could control the Divine Beasts. Regardless of how it's depicted here, there's no question that the Sheikah were not forced to lay down their arms. They chose to do so. Mm-hmm. Probably at the behest of their goddess. And it's, I guess... 120 or so of them, like, basically became living mummies. Yes. Sealed themselves in a shrine to meditate for 10,000 years. Yes. Meditate for 10,000 years so they could manifest a spirit orb. Yeah. <laughs> one spirit orb, one fourth of a. a it takes a lot to build a hero, you know? I guess. Yes. So we got 10,000 years apiece. Mm hmm. But it wasn't just the shrines. They built the towers. They did. And they they built the Sheikah Slate. They built the trials for the people who would eventually pilot the Divine Beasts a hundred years later. Yes. Hold on. That means they knew the Divine Beasts would be brought up out of the ground. Uh-huh. Ah, oh, shit. No. It's a bad prophecy. <laughs> maybe they're reusing the trials that were used for the pilots a hundred years ago. Or 10,000 years ago. Oh. Uh. That would... Okay. I'm going to go with that one. Otherwise, they are tremendous fuck-ups. <laughs> one thing that struck me, though, with... Because Cameron started replaying Breath of the Wild for the fourth time. A third. Third time. Thank you. And one thing that struck me watching it was the first tower is exposed. Yeah. The Sheikah Slate does not work until you get it to the first... Well, it kind of works. It, it works, works a little. It works at as in the Chamber of Resurrection, actually. Right. I mean, it's operational. It was even operational 100 years ago. It, semi it, it registers Link as its user. Right. But it's not f- fully functioning until you get it over to the tower. Okay. And that tower was already partially unburied. Yes. Enough so that it could be act. It could activate the slate. Yes. And I feel like the Sheikah at the time had gunned for that. Like they hoped that the slate would be taken to this one tower. Right. And it just didn't happen. Right. This is getting into the 100 years ago now. Okay. Well, I mean, the 10,000 years for being longer than the entire rest of the history of the series across timelines combined, um, the 10,000 years are relatively uneventful. Ganon fades into myth and legend, and it is only the royal family of Hyrule that truly remembers. 
And the seal on Ganon is kept fresh by the blood of Hylia using the Triforce, of which the crown princess rises to her power on her 17th birthday, and mother passes down this secret knowledge to daughter, and no one else knows, because if anyone else knew, they could break that bloodline, and if the bloodline is broken, then Ganon is free. Nobody even knows about the Triforce. Yes, absolutely. That knowledge is utterly hidden. Like, it, it, there's layers to this bullshit. They've buried it underneath the burial. It's like, oh, the sealing power. That itself is kind of secret. What the sealing power is, nobody fucking talks about. In fact, a lot of people who play the game imagine that it's the power of Hylia rather than the Triforce. Because the Triforce is never mentioned by name. And and people, in fact, forget that Zelda has the full Triforce. Or even they, though you see the triangles. Yeah. It's not like just lights appearing on her hand. Like, the full golden triangles appear in the air before her. And they're All like, shing. And then the big explosion. Anyway. Secrets. Big risks if the secrets are ever found out. 10,000 years pass in peace. It's a matrilineal thing, so there's no doubt that the kingdom of Hyrule's succession is matriarchal. Yes. So getting into the almost 100 years ago. Where do you want to start? (laughs) Well, to the earliest known thing or event. Okay. We know Zelda had a grandmother. (laughs) Zelda did have a grandmother. Who could speak to the spirits. Yes. And who spoke with the spirits. And that person had a daughter. Who could similarly have some sort of power. Yes. This is in the shrine memory, or the the spring memory. Yes. I think it's called slumbering power or something. Right. And that daughter marries some schlub named Rome. Yeah. Rome Bosphoramus. I guess he's of the house Bosphoramus. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And... And here we get specific times, I think. Or, or no, we can get into like the queen. The queen. Because after Zelda marries, she's now the queen. Well, is the word queen ever actually used in this game? Yeah, I think. I don't know for sure. I'm not sure either. Look up Rome's diary. Yeah, it was queen. Okay. Okay. So we're getting into, um, I guess we decide princesses become queens after they marry and you know formally yeah queens don't marry prince consorts when you marry a queen you become king yeah but the queen's the queen's the head the head and we know this because the queen is the one making ambassadorial journeys across the country yes the most specific example that's provided to us is that the queen makes regular trips into the Gerudo Desert. Yes, but also the queen visited the Zora, right? Is I, this a fanfic I read? Or, no, that's I probably a fanfic no. that you read. Hold on. You can, look, we know that during this time period, Link's father was a knight. Mm-hmm. And Link ends up growing up among the Zora. He first travels there when he's four years old, but it's never actually mentioned that he was in accompaniment of any of the royal family at the time. Ah, uh, yeah. It seems more like Link's father was and mother were close to the Zora. Mm, okay. No, it says at the behest of Hyrule's king, actually, in Mipha's journal. I see. 
Uh, this would have been after the queen's death, I suppose. Mm. Which would make Link slightly younger than Zelda. If you're going that way, then two years younger? Something like that. Anyway. Anyway. So, the queen's an interesting figure. One, she highlights all the fucking problems with this series in terms of its treatment of uh, maternal power. And that she's not present because she's dead. A lot of dead moms in this series. I think Rutella's the only dead mom who actually got to do anything with that. Are there any live moms? Not for anyone important. No princesses or heroes have living moms. Some living fathers. No living moms. Are there even any, like, non-royal moms that are alive? Oh, Malin's mom is dead. Um, Fucking. Kamali's mom is dead. (laughs) Oh, shit. Kamali's mom is dead. Uh, the Ruto's mom is dead. Oh, yeah. Mifa's mom is dead. Nobody has a mom. Nobody has a fucking mom in this series. What's what's with this series? <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's got to be I'll... one mom. <laughs> Let moms be alive. That's what Cameron says. There's got to be one mother. Listeners, if you can think of a, a living mother. <laughs> there's, a, there's at least one living mother because there's one mom in Zora's domain who sends you uh, after her daughter, I think. And there's the other one who, like, swims off and you have to go collect her on behalf of her family and bring her back. And then her kids are like, yeah, thanks for bringing mom back. Oh, you mean in, in Breath of the Wild? <laughs> yes, in Breath of the Wild. That one woman. Yes. I guess, yeah, that's There's a, a couple of living Zora moms. And you see a lot of Gerudo moms. Except right. for except for uh, Riju's mom. She's super dead. Oh. <laughs> So how many moms do we have? Not a lot. One mom in Breath of the Wild. <laughs> Two moms, at least. Come on, Reggie, give us three mothers. Come on, Bowser now? No, Reggie has a month and a half to make good on this <laughs> shit before he retires. Marin's mom is not there either. If he can't give us jobs, he can give us moms. <clears throat> Mars okay. needs moms. <laughs> yeah, Mars needs moms. So, uh, do we? But I, I like talking about the queen. Yes, because the queen's an interesting figure for all the fact that she's not actually in anything, and we never see anything written in her hand. That drives me fucking bananas. By the way, I would have lost my mind to find a journal written by the queen somewhere in Gerudo Town or even deep in Hyrule Castle. Yes, anywhere. Just give her a voice. I would love to compare Queen Zelda's journal to King Rome's journal. Yeah. Especially with statements such as, I have decided to name her Zelda. (laughs) Yeah. And also, um, her being the person who actually has knowledge of, you know, the Triforce. Rome don't know that shit. Divine secrets. He doesn't get it at all. Yeah. He doesn't know anything. He's not from the family. He's not of the people. God, I'm reading the part of Rome's journal where he's like, Zelda is so strong because she never showed emotion about her mom dying. I'm so proud of her. Yeah, that's a healthy thing to be about. You think that prob you think that probably like Urbosa hated Rome, right? Oh, for sure, yes. <laughs> okay. Just to lay this out for our listeners who haven't heard this before, Urbosa leaves behind a diary. That goes into how close she was with Zelda's mother. 
And she very carefully only refers to her using the phrase, my dear friend. But when Zelda's mother dies, as she does, as we've talked about, she goes into a depressive episode for months. She's unconsolable. And it's only when she goes to comfort Zelda that she can be even a little bit herself again. And she recovers enough to refer to Zelda as Little Bird, which is the same phrase that her mother used for her. She essentially treats Zelda as her own daughter, and in fact travels with Zelda as Zelda begins her earliest pilgrimages, taking care of her and protecting her as she moves across the countryside, essentially being the replacement for the queen. It's a very popular reading, and I think it's textually supported that Urbosa and the queen were most likely lovers. Yes, or at least Urbosa loved the queen. There's no question that Urbosa yeah. loved the queen. And the fact that the queen brought Zelda to Gerudo Town specifically to show her daughter off to Urbosa yes. implies to me that probably the two of them loved each other. Yes. You ever get the impression that there's two separate teams of writers for this game? <laughs> Absolutely. Like, one team knows their shit. The other team seems to have somehow arrived at the conclusion that Rome is the head of state <laughs> and is in charge of everything because he's the king. That this is still a patrilineal passing down of power. You ever get that impression, Crystal? Isn't who? How many credited writers does Breath of the Wild have? I have no fucking idea. There's there's Akihito Toda, according to Wikipedia. Uh, I don't see another one. Huh. Hmm. Well, I mean, there's still going to be different writers for specific pieces, for specific aspects. But if it is just one person doing all this, they didn't really pick up on any of the nuances of what they were writing. Well, it's, it's, I feel like there must be somebody writing the broader story and then other people fleshing out details. And then some of them are more on point than others. Yeah. But it is also telling that Urbosa, unlike Daruk, um, or I guess with the lineage in, in going on in Zora's domain, she doesn't have like a, a blood heir. Right. That's true. Riju is not Urbosa's child. Or granddaughter. Or granddaughter. As would be the style in this particular game where grandchildren are a hundred years younger than their grandparents. <laughs> However this works. She's a separate branch or line. Yes. It could be that she's like Urbosa's great niece. Of Yeah, of some sort. But like this earlier speculation was that Urbosa wasn't actually the leader of the Gerudo. Oh, that's not true. We, right. The DLC kind of wiped that out, too. It was a good DLC. It was. It, it, it didn't reach everybody's hopes, but it does have, in the usual Zelda manner, fragments that you can sort of piece together i think we liked it a lot more after the fact mm -hmm. but anyway queen loved urbosa queen is primarily the one who goes between the different peoples of hyrule and acts as head of state making sure that relationship with the other peoples works out some of the writers for this game seem to be under the impression that king rome was in control of things he was not he was not and actually urbosa in the dlc notes that zelda will grow up to be queen Mm -hmm. There's no question. Nobody's going to be fucking king. Zelda's queen. But also, that may just be the way Urbosa sees No, fuck it. <laughs> I'm sticking to this. Um. Okay, so... 
that's what was going on as Zelda is a wee girl. She's wee baby at this point. And around this time is the first discovery of the Guardians. Is this? No, it's not. This is when the fortune teller appears. No, no, it mentions that the fortune teller matches their findings. So, Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Okay, go on. In Rome's journal, there's a mention that reports keep arriving regarding the excavation of relics. The fortune teller's predictions seem to come tr- coming true. That means the fortune teller showed oh. up first. Hmm. Listen, I've got five L's on this episode. I'll take one W, thank you. (laughs) Hold on. Okay. God, I am not a man accustomed to frivolous musings, but now seems as good a time as any to begin my royal memorandum. God, Rome (laughs) sucks so bad. You can hear him sniffing his own farts. Rome is the Big Lebowski from the film The Big Lebowski. That's pretty bad, I assume. Yes, he's, he's a guy who has a completely false sense of importance, but actually his wife runs the business. Monica, what is it that you're looking for here? I'm trying to find the part where I know something happened, and I think it is here. I could have I could have clicked to it. Okay. There was a prophecy in Rome's words. The signs of a resurrection of Calamity Ganon are clear, and the power to oppose it lies dormant beneath the ground. These are the words spoken to Rome Bosphoramus Hyrule by the fortune teller. Yeah, sorry, I had it reverse. And in heeding the words of this fortune teller, Rome set the people of Hyrule to excavating the guardians and the divine beasts. Now, it may be that the queen was also in on this. Or it could be that he did all this shit while she was in Gerudo Town getting her <laughs> bone on. But, um... <laughs> yeah, that's the part I had confused. They were... The fortune teller had shown up before the queen dies. Yes, absolutely. And they were digging before the queen dies. Yes, that too. But isn't it something that this fortune teller shows up and gives them a prophecy that runs exactly counter... To the prophecy of doom spoken to you by the Sheikah sages. And that after they begin to do as the instructions commanded, the queen, who holds the secrets that keep Calamity Ganon sealed away, should die mysteriously and with no real explanation. And we know that the fortune teller shows up, judging by the chronology in Rome's journal. Zelda's born... Then the fortune teller shows up. Then mom dies. And this is within a span of six years. Yes. Because Zelda is six at the funeral. And this is literally right before Zelda's training was to begin. Where she would have begun to learn from her mother. Yeah. A tenure training seems pretty Yeah. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a thing. If you're, if you're learning from the only person who knows how to do it, that seems pretty reasonable. But... That seems like a big coincidence, doesn't it? That the worst of the worst happens just before things would have been passed on in a way to preserve the power. Mm-hmm. Crystal, yeah. what, do you, what do you make of that? Oh, yes. The fortune teller is one of those agonims. Just one, one of those Zelda 2 fortune tellers. 
I remember being so confident in the first episode that the DLC would deal with the fortune teller. <laughs> yeah. I well, would, it would have been cool. It's a great plot point, and most people gloss over it. No, you know, but this is another case where um, the writers behind this game have a very different read of the plot than the three of us. Because it's mentioned in the art book that the fortune teller must have been someone high in the court to have been so trusted by King Roam. In fact, it is suggested in the art book that the fortune teller may have been the queen herself. Oh, I'd like to see this text. That just strikes me that there was somebody else writing the art book. I... I'll, I'll, I'll grab the book and read it for you after the episode, Crystal. Or type it up. Yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> it's not- Ryan wouldn't refer to his wife as the fortune teller. No. You would think, or especially the queen, the actual regent. <laughs> um, yeah. Of note is that until these relics were excavated, Rome was under the impression that Calamity Ganon was just a fable. Some fairy tale. Yes. He might as well have been digging up Atlantis. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? That the king of Hyrule is completely out of the loop to which the queen must most assuredly be intimately involved. Yeah. The Sheikah know. The queen knows. The king does not know. It's almost as if the Sheikah serve the blood of Hylia directly and their loyalties are not truly to the king in the first place. Yeah. Why do we even have kings? <laughs> Why does Hyrule have kings? No real no. good reason. They keep fucking things up. I guess they're there to fuck up. Maybe Ganon. <laughs> maybe Ganon swayed the electorate at some point and made sure that the people enshrined the idea of a king alongside the incarnation of Hylia, so that there'd always be a weak point for him to fucking poke at. Ooh. <laughs> so. Uh, after the queen dies, there's no way for them to know how Zelda should train. There's no way to know what she's even trying to do. Right. Well, to, the, to avert the Ganon prophecy. It's like the ceiling the power. says. Oh, right. yeah. It's like Ganon's going to come back. Don't you know Ganon's going to come back? And it's at this point that Rome gets into his head that surely... Zelda must pray constantly and incessantly at these springs. It is only through spiritual awakening that her power might be realized. And I I have to say that this line of thought must have been given to him by the fortune teller. Yes, because it is utterly not in keeping with Zelda's own growth. And it is completely keeping her from realizing anything about herself. Right. Well, it, it effectively, it made her... Not emotionally stunted, but isolated. It isolates her from the people around her and the history of her own family. Uh Uh-huh. And pointedly, all these treks to the different springs do not take her to the one place that may have been beneficial for her to go to, which is the Great Plateau. Here's the thing. Where the tower is. Here's the thing about our girl Zelda. Our girl Zelda likes books. And later, once they dig up them robots, she likes them robots. She likes seeing how they tick. She would probably like building her own. 
She's got this iPad. She's really big into that iPad, figuring out how it works, taking pictures on it. Blows people's minds that she can take pictures on it. And anytime she encounters one of those weird inactive shrines, she puts the iPad she's like, <laughs> on I, the shrine. She's like, like, I know this works. I know it, but I can't figure out how. And if she had toured around and gone over to some other ancient sites like the Temple of Time... She would have stumbled upon. Here's the thing, though. She did go to the Great Plateau. She knows what the Chamber of Resurrection is. She knows, but personally? I don't know that she knows personally. She must not have had. We know definitively she did not have time properly to explore and research. It's possible that the tower wasn't exposed 100 years ago. It is surrounded by, like, slate rock that suggest it was pushed up out of the ground only up to a certain point like the ag- rome is absolutely convinced that zelda just needs to pray harder mm-hmm. and that she's not making any progress just because she's not praying hard enough yes and maybe if i yell at her to pray harder maybe she'll figure it out and i don't actually know what to do nor am i going to give her any useful advice i'm just going to keep yelling at her to pray harder <laughs> because that will solve the problem yes but I guess I, I'm very enamored with the idea that the Sheikah had set in motion some way to avert the total destruction that happened 100 years ago. If the fortune teller hadn't shown up, they could have properly opened the Sheikah slate. They could have properly opened up the shrines. If the fortune teller hadn't shown up, they wouldn't have seen any of these things. The shrines were still there. The shrines have all been dug out of hillsides. Almost all of them. No. Almost. I think it's fair to say that if Zelda had had been given more freedom to pursue her own training and her own research, that maybe she could have figured something out. That's very true. Mm -hmm. Just to highlight how badly Rome sucks, (laughs) I would like to read the third to last entry in Rome's journal which comes from around the time that Zelda was 16. And I think that would have been just after Link was assigned as her guardian, but I could be wrong. I was told Zelda went off to research ancient technology, so I had no choice but to confront her about it. She claims she was simply using her day off from training to indulge in a bit of research, but still I scolded her. She won't get it through her head, forcing me to tell her the same thing I have been repeating ad nauseum. The reason her sacred powers still won't awaken is because she's spending all her efforts playing at being a scholar. Rome. <laughs> Brah. This is, Cease. This is probably based around that memory. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Where she gets yelled at. I think we can safely Father say Rome. that Rome Bosforamus Hyrule is canceled. <laughs> what? Uh, he this had a hundred years. <laughs> this is a call-out post. No more Rome. He had a hundred years to regret his actions. Unsubscribe from Rome's YouTube channel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. I almost made a bunch of jokes about Rome, but they all would read very badly. Um, so while Zelda is off not being able to do any of this shit, there's other people in Hyrule at the time. In fact, there's a lot of people. Uh-huh. It's interesting to note that Zelda takes on her mother's role of acting as ambassador to the other peoples. So even though she's not the regent, her father's the regent until she comes of age. But even though she's not the regent, she's still the effective ambassador acting head of state 
Nobody expects Rome to solve the country's troubles. Right, but they will talk to Zelda about it. So when it comes time to select the champions, it is Zelda who does that. Yes, except for Link. <laughs> except for Link. Now but Link kind of selected himself. Link selected the shit out of himself. Let's talk about Link. Who's okay. this Link guy? Just some guy. Son of a royal guardsman. Yep. What else do we know? He grew up primarily amongst the Zora. Uh-huh. Because at the behest of the royal family. We're going to go with the royal family here. Right. There was a group of Hylians who stayed in Zora's domain. And we know that Link around that time was already beating adults. Yes. He was like a four-year-old. And I don't know if our listeners have seen four-year-olds. They're very small. They're not physically powerful. But this four-year-old um, could apparently get into sword fights with um, actual trained military personnel and just whoop their asses. He's like big strong. It's probably at least partially a result of his training already. It, absolutely. His father was probably doing similar things as Zelda's father and shoehorning him into a profession. What was the name of the lost people? The Zonai. What's the likelihood that these super strong goddamn individuals who just happen to be able to draw out their even more of their inner strength by wearing the barbarian attire might actually be descended from the Zonai? Yeah. That Link himself is a relatively small but strong example of a nearly disappeared ethnicity. Yeah. Yeah. No other Link. Link we know of can do what this Link does. Hyrule finally got some good knights. Mm. They did. Yeah. So Link becomes a member of the Baz Brigade, which means that he's a shit kid running around in a Zora gang. But they're all like, well, he's like five, but they're like 10 or 12. It's hard to tell. Zora grow up weird. They don't like hit their second growth spurt and finish growing until they're like 40 or some shit. Zora live a long time in this setting. And during this, it's not... There's a princess amongst the Zora, Mipha. And it's not clear how old Mipha was when Link first showed up. But she later talks about how they grew up together. So I got the impression that when Link first showed up, she was like pre-growth spurt. So she was also fairly tiny. Mm -hmm. And she's like still growing as Link hits his adult size. So she's like, hey, you really just shot up past me. She's definitely older though. Uh, yeah. Hundred percent. I think that as of the period where all of this is taking place, she's like maybe half a century or something. Half a century? Something like that. Fifty? I don't know. Maybe. Zora old. Yeah. Maybe she's only twenty. Shit. What am I supposed to know? They don't tell and us how it's Zora hard to could. tell what Zora scales are because it's nobody. Scales. Yeah. It's, it, thank you, scale. <laughs> but as Link grows, he becomes more and more of a super fucking badass. And she goes from thinking that he's really cute and a good friend to at one point going, uh-oh. Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Because she realizes she really likes him. Is that after he gets the Master Sword? Yes. It's like he comes back with the Master Sword and she watches him in motion and then she realizes, oh, fuck me. I'm in love with him. The phrase that she uses is, I am lost. God. Why? <laughs> That's such a good way. That's a pretty good way to describe it. <laughs> right? Mifa, 
Wow. Strong feelings. Also, Link shouldn't read these diaries. <laughs> but um, let's see. It's it. He ends. We know that Link was a cheerful kid, or yes. at least it. He by the time you know he he comes back, he's so changed that it, it's it's a Mifa remarks on it. Can we talk about how Mifa is the kind of person who will write? Dot 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 um dot 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 in her diary. <laughs> yeah, that does happen. Uh huh. <laughs> That's it. I'm doomed. There we go. My doomed. heart is drawn to his. I am doomed. Yeah. It it uh it, it she realizes this after the two of them fight the Lionel together on Ploymus Mountain. Interestingly enough, she that's after Zelda visits the domain and asks to Mifa to pilot. Varuta. Yes. This is pretty late. Which means she agreed to pilot Varuta specifically so that she could aid Link. She already had these feelings for him. She loved him. She just didn't realize that it was a romantic love until she was like, oh, fuck, he's hot. Well. It it happens to the best of us, really. (laughs) It's a fairly late realization, though. Yeah, Mifa writes in her journal as if it's a live journal that she sort of expects (laughs) other people to read. No. Yeah, Mifa had an LJ. Get off my back. Don't look at me like that. You know it. You probably knew someone like that. An LJ or Kinja. I. That's a little bit past me. What about or a Zanga? Tumblr? A, a Zanga? No, not a Kinja. Kinja's. Sorry, that's the Gawker oh. thing. So Zanga. 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 Yeah, Zanga. You should have a TikTok. Is TikTok what the kids are using now? Oh yeah. Is it a blogging platform? No, but you know. It's it's more like a vine. Mifa would have an Instagram, and she would have those very like washed out colors. No, fuck you! Pictures. Fuck you! How dare you? Ah! Oh. But she would post the thigh pic once every two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's go then. Oh, okay. Gosh. So, Link grows up in Zora's domain alongside the Princess Mifa. There's some. I dread talking about this because Monica's instantly going to start arguing with me. But there uh-huh. is there is a certain amount of text in the game that you can read as suggesting that Link and Mifa had some kind of pre-existing relationship when everything goes to shit. I dispute this. I said that to start with. Uh-huh. But also everyone in Zora's domain thinks that they had a pre-existing relationship, which could just be a thing where it's like, oh, everyone's stupid and they don't know about it. But they Everybody knows that Mifa liked Link. Yes. And also the entire Baz Brigade assumed that there was something between them. The only person who doesn't know that Link and Mifa are in a relationship is Link. <laughs> there is actually another person who didn't know. Um Oh, shit. Uh, Muzu. Hammerhead. Muzu. No, he's not a hammerhead. He's a ray. Guy with the protruding head. He's the uh, vizier to the Zoran royal family, and he doesn't know that Mifa loves Link. In fact, he denies it a hundred years later. So it's not just this thing where everyone knows and Mifa's really obvious about it. It's something that she shares with close friends, which suggests certain things about why people thought that they were in a relationship. I'm saying there's enough in the text for you to read it that way. I think literally the only reason you wouldn't say they're in a relationship is because Link hasn't realized it yet. (laughs) 
Like, they, for all intents and purposes, basically they're, are. They're not in a relationship, and... They can't be in a relationship, you see, because that gets in the way of our (laughs) Zellink shipping. Yes, it does. How old do you think Link is by the time he is Zelda's bodyguard? He's like 17 or 18. I think so. 16 to 18. I kind of saw him as being like quite a bit older. Really? Really? You saw him young 20s. Yeah. You know what? Sure, why not? Zelda like her an older man, I guess. But, I mean, he's he's young. He He's young. Link is young enough that it's assumed he can't drink yet. Oh, yeah. Oh, hmm. right. They, they they don't think he's an adult yet. Right. When he wakes up a hundred and whatever years yeah, later. I'm actually over a hundred. <laughs> God, Link's very good in this game. Yes. But the Link of the hundred years ago, after gaining the Master Sword, uh, Mifa actually describes this quite well. She says this here. He no longer resembles the child I first met. He is now an accomplished knight and keeper of the sword that seals the darkness. I am so proud. However, he hardly speaks anymore and smiles even more rarely. He is still the kind soul I knew, but something has changed. And this has gone into a little bit more when you talk, well, when you read Zelda's diary. And that we learned that Link, a hundred years ago, was weighed down terribly by the burden of expectation. And he always presented what he thought was the strongest possible front, reacting to nothing, acting out at nothing, and only performing his duty perfectly to the letter. And in ways he just mirrors, he mirrors what Zelda was going through. Yes, he does. He's a lot better. crushed by expectations. He's better about it. He's better about it. He's super better about it. But, I mean, like, also, he has the advantage of being the proven hero who's yeah. carrying the Master Sword. In that, the line that you you didn't read out at first was, Link came to visit the Domain. It feels like forever since he was here last. So, bridging the chronology, he grew up in Zora's Domain, but then left. Probably as, for his night training. Right. But we also know from there he journeyed and met Daruk. <laughs> yes, he became strong. He proved himself in some way, becoming worthy of wielding the Master Sword. I think he even meets Daruk before. Yeah, he meets Daruk before he has the Master Sword. Yes, like he travels as part of his training. Right. He doesn't meet Rivali. I have some trouble finding the line, but isn't Link referred to at some point as being the captain of the Royal Guard? Um... He might be referred to as the captain of the Royal Guard. Mm. I've read too many fanfics. <laughs> Hold on. Let me think for a second. It's not in Rome's journal, I don't think. It could be in Zelda's. Let's reread all these journals. But I'm assuming that you're already looking in hers. Yeah, it's it's part of why I perceive them as being a little older than both of you did. It's, he's definitely young for his position, but also, he's been doing this for a while. With a person of Link's skill, though, it wouldn't take very long for him to rise up the ranks. It was a meteoric rise even before he got the Master Sword. Who describes the Link deflecting? Well, that's Daruk's journal. Oh. <laughs> I mean, this comes a little bit later. Okay. I hear one of the ancient machine things went nuts during some test and shot out deadly beams. 
With true Goran's spirit, Link grabbed a pot lid from the ground and deflected the blast. So it's like... <laughs> yeah, but um, he nailed the thing in its weak spot and saved the day. His bravery caught the king's eye, and not long after that, he was appointed to guard Zelda. Well, yeah, he was... a. It's implied, I think, that he was a... I can't remember why I think he was a member of the Royal Guard before he became, like, the guardian of Zelda in particular. But those two positions are very different. He has one of the doofy outfits. Was it his? I don't think so. Oh, there are references to the wiki of Link being a captain, but unsourced. There's got to be somewhere. That's just the thing. There's so many lines that I remember coming from this game that I cannot find to save my life. Like, I thought at some point maybe Kaz talked about the Faron region previously being filled with a tribe that loved bananas. And I thought that maybe that meant that the Barbarian tribe was a third offshoot of the original Sheikah tribe. But I could not find that line to save my life. Regardless, um... Yeah, Link, Link has it fucking rough. But it's interesting because this past version of Link is not the character that you meet throughout the game. He's a no. completely, completely different person 100 years later. It's like a complete reset on his personality. To me, he's more of the, like, the Ocarina of Time Link school. Oh, you mean the 100 Link. years ago Link? Yes. Just that stoic doing his job because it needs doing. Yes. So after the prophecy is made, it's decided that... They need champions to pilot the Divine Beasts. And the selection is made for the strongest and most capable members of their peoples to do it. And the royal family puts out the call to them, carried on Zelda's lips. And she recruits Urbosa, the chief of the Gerudo. Daruk, who may have been big brother of the Gorons, but I don't think that's actually in the text anywhere. Ravali, who wasn't anyone in particular except some asshole who's really good with a bow, and Mifa, the crown princess of the Zora who would have been queen. And there's more that we could talk about for the different lives of all of these characters, how they related to their peoples and whatnot, but I think that already we're running a little bit long on this episode. Yay! You want to call it here right before I think that we things go bad? I think that... Do you want to do the calamity, or are you about tired and ready to get some food? I think it's a good place to call it. Okay, I think I think that that the calamity is is a whole topic unto itself. Okay, so we're, we've got that looming over our heads. We've gathered the champions, and they are beginning to prepare themselves to pilot the divine beasts. Zelda has nothing to her power. God, we could have a whole conversation just about Zelda's last pilgrimage, couldn't we? Yeah. And things are growing a little darker. The monsters are beginning to come back, and the shadow of the Calamity grows long again. Oh, but Link gets the Master Sword. Link has the Master Sword. <laughs> That's a good thing. He he wanders in. We, we were talking about where the Master Sword was 100 years ago. It has to be in the Lost Woods. You mentioned this. There was a line about the Deku Tree mentions that oh, Link returns. Yes, he He's, it's taken Link a very long time to return. The Master Sword did rest in the Lost Woods, so Link proved himself to the Deku Tree in yeah. order to be able to draw the sword. I I might as well mention it now, but I, I love how the, the Deku Tree is a, a cherry tree in this one. Oh, it's just got all them Sakura petals? Yeah. And 
the art book ruminates on the possibility that when the Master Sword was planted there, that under the auspices of the goddess, they planted a tree and it grew into the Deku tree. I don't really think that really works out, but I think it's really cute. Anyway. Ready for some questions? Woo, questions. questions. Sorry, I'm still searching for this captain light because I know it's in here. It's like, it has to be. I can't have based assumptions about the text of this game for two years on There's a misunderstanding too much fan of the art text. On, with Link in the Royal Guard outfit. Oh, well, listeners, write in, please. Yes, send please. Send me an email where, where it is. Yeah. Let, I'm surprised there's a text dump at this point. I, mm, yeah, it's a little bit weird. Do they normally text dump Wii U games, or is it just that these have way too much text? People like I mean, to talk about how Breath of the Wild um, has next to no dialogue in it, but that's the opposite of true. I think it probably has more character text in it than any other game in the Zelda series. They have a lot of people reacting to like outfits or Link's lack of an outfit. Yeah, like, It's just stuff that you might not see. It's so many tons and tons and tons of it. And there's so many characters. The Koroks alone. Oh. Do you think that Link could see the Koroks a hundred years ago? Uh-huh. Okay. Cameron, where can people send us questions? You can send in questions to the podcast email, bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com, or to myself and Crystal on Twitter, at CamWriter and at ArcaneCrystal, respectively. All right, let's start with some Twitter questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First, first I'm going to read from your Twitter post. I'll ask me anything about Breath of the Wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rawl asks, can you give your own explanation, given the podcast timeline idea, about the clumps of salt in the ore deposits that claim they're left over from the Great Sea? Um, I'm trying to bring up the line exactly, but I, I know what Rawls talking yeah, about. Yeah, the, the rock salt in Breath of the Wild does make a reference to the fact that it is actually sea salt. From an ancient sea. From an ancient sea. Not the Great Sea, an ancient sea. Crystallized salt from the ancient sea, commonly used to season meals. Well, th- this is the merger of all timelines, so the Great Sea I mean, when did. it receded at some right. point. It could also be a Lanayru Sea. It could. It could also be that one, yeah. Yeah, there's multiple old seas, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, there, there's no question that it's absolutely from the sea one way or another. We can't say specifically what sea it's from, but that it's from a sea... It's definitely in there. And at some point, that sea covered the mountains of Hyrule. It could certainly be the Great Sea. It could. It could. Our, our reading of the timeline does allow for that, that Ganon's wish on the Triforce basically eventually drove the waters back, is how I would read it. Yeah. So you can own it better. Yes. Much better owning. K writes in, do you think the re-Link's Awakening will include any new dungeons or lore. Link's Reawakening. That's a pretty good that's a pretty good name for that remake. Will it include the DX dungeon? Will it add in any references to Breath of the Wild since it features the corpse of the Windfish? I am surprised that there are so many people expecting this because Zelda hasn't really done this in its remakes. <laughs> Zelda has probably the most conservative full remakes of any major series that I can think of. Right. 
you might see like one object in the game that is from another game. Yeah, you might see Majora's mask hanging on a wall somewhere. I think at most there will be like a a very small like two rooms mini dungeon that contains a mural that hints at the next game, Ooh. but actually doesn't. Oh, I don't. I don't think it would unless a game was already announced. Like I think if it's a new game thing. Like it would be like that one picture that has already been announced. However, like like Twilight Princess's remake had that one shot of Breath of the Wild's field. Sure, but if it's announcing a, a next remake, it will have like I don't know, Girahim's head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A kiwi. Oh, oh, yeah, sure. Um, I'm going to break with the two of you here, mm-hmm. and I'm going to say that if you beat the whole game without dying and it will have a death counter first time for a zelda game to have had a death counter since i think ocarina of time but anyway beat the whole game without dying and you will get a secret movie which is actually the first trailer for the new 3d zelda game due out in 2020 skyward sword of the wild no new i said (laughs) that's basically new that's that's big hopes I'm, yeah, we're just going to, we're going to do it. The biggest hopes. Yeah, let's go. Um, I don't think it will include the DX dungeon. I think there will be some new version of that dungeon. Oh, you're thinking like, instead of it being like, hey, here's a dungeon that depends on being able to tell colors apart. It's going right. to be a dungeon that's like, hey, everything looks like toys. Yeah, or something. Or like, this is actually a retelling of the awakening of the windfish or some shit like that. I don't expect much of anything, to be honest. A new cave of ordeals. But I like pretending that there's going to be a special Final Mix movie at the end of it. (laughs) But it won't include any references to Breath of the Wild and the Corpse of the Windfish. No, probably not. Nintendo just doesn't do that. Yeah, probably not. Do you think there will be an option to play in black and white? Oh, that would be so good. I think probably not, but I really hope yes. That's pretty cute. Black and white and... The green tinted original Game Boy Color palette. Do you think that if you steal something from the shop, your name will be changed to Thief? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they better. Jesus, they better. The the one thing I expect that they will update in the game is Mr. Wright might not be Mr. Wright. And the Frog Boy, well, the Frog Boy is pretty vital, but I think they might update some of those references. Oh, to make them more contemporary. Right. The goat might not give a picture of Princess Peach. Oh, she'll still give a picture of Princess Peach. Come on. Maybe, yeah. Jason asks, is Hateno Village Holodrum? No. Is there a reason it would be? I can't can't think of one. Holodrum? Jason, please write in for why it would be. Yeah. Because I'm open to the idea. Yeah, we love entertaining this sort of question, but I'm having a lot of trouble trying to connect it because it's not underground. It's not full of people wearing robes. I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out, but I want to hear it. So write us an email explaining your thought processes on this. Is Holodrum the underground part? Or yes. Is it- oh, so Broach is the underground. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm silly. That's five L's. Oh, I still have that one W. That's four lines. <laughs> um, hmm. I can't think of similarities. Oh, there's... Tarm ruins in the game, which... Are there tarm ruins in the Tano area? No. 
There's a beach. They got goats. A dye shop. Bam. Yeah, basically. Uh, we basically have to say, like, much of the map in Breath of the Wild is just, you know, in jokes and references. And we can't rely too much on the geography. Yeah. Is Hateno Tolemac? <sighs> the south... The southeast region of Hyrule. Oh. It's closer to being Tolomac, I guess. Because it is in the eastern region. And southerly. Oh, horrible. Tankhammer writes in, Which elements from the Mario games should have been included in Breath of the Wild? I'm, I'm assuming that what is meant here is, like in Link's Awakening, there's a lot of Mario game elements. There's Goombas and shit in there. Oh. What would have improved Breath of the Wild from Mario? You got a moon. Oh. You got a Korok seed. It's the same energy, literally. Gravity puzzles. Oh, gravity puzzles in Breath of the Wild's physics engine would have been amazing. Oh, okay. I I guess the thing is, the moon dynamic, they were a little bit more varied on collection than the Korok seeds were. Eh. The Koroks have like six standard puzzles. Sure. Little treat. But I mean, like... I. I don't think it's like a mechanical question. Oh, isn't it? Okay. It could be. Maybe it is. I like gravity puzzles, though. I'm siding with Crystal here. Gravity puzzles would have been the bee's knees. They should make a video game that's as good as Super Mario Galaxy. How high is Super Mario Galaxy on your best game of all time list? Uh, It's in it. Yeah, pretty high then. Well, I mean, you might, if you get the chance to play Super Mario Odyssey, you might end up liking it a lot. Yeah, maybe. Oh, what's the matter? It's done, ain't got the gravity in it. It's got gravity. Well, I mean, of a sort. It has gravity that pulls you down. Yeah, that's gravity. But it hasn't got like planetoid gravity. There's parts where you walk on the top. It's true that it, it there does, are some it, gravity. There switching. are some. There's some gravity fuckery in there. That part's true. It, it, it's got some parts you'll probably like. I think. I hope you do when the time comes. Uh, Simone asks, Why do I want to play Breath of the Wild so much with everybody talking about it these days? I don't have time for this. There are other games. I have children. Well, that sounds like a personal problem, really. (laughs) It's because none of those are as soothing or... (laughs) What? Go on, or what? Or as, you know, as calling to your spirit of adventure. Oh, yeah. As Breath of the Wild. But Monica, uh-huh. aren't children the greatest adventure of them all? No, it's Breath of the Wild. Oh, <laughs> how foolish of me. Yeah. Simone, I think that the real reason that you get the urge to play it again is because there's a real joy of movement in that game. And as I'm playing it for the third time, I find that it helps me relax. I have bad anxiety problems. And Breath of the Wild helps me manage them sometimes. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to have in your pocket. And it's one of the more pleasant game experiences that I've ever had. And I can understand completely why somebody who's busy and is dealing with all the shit that uh, you'll be dealing with, both in the world in general and with uh, Canadian politics specifically, not to mention the stress of raising a family, would want that simplicity of walking up a hill and picking up a rock and talking to a little tree person and then they give you a seed. That's a good feeling. So if you get the time, you should do it because Breath of the Wild is probably better than whatever game you would have played otherwise. 
Play games that make you happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about missing out on the current experiences. Just play what you like to play. A lot of those or aren't play, any good anyway. <laughs> or play games for the trophies. Yeah, trophies. Also very important. I think I'm going to end up getting all the trophies in the Resident Evil 2 remake. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's a fun video game. I uh, I did a run-through as Claire on Hardcore and got the S-plus ranking, which gets you a few trophies, but it also unlocks the infinite minigun. And uh, that's a real strong weapon, a minigun that doesn't run out of bullets. That would be very good against zombies. Yes. It's provably very good against zombies. Have you have you heard anything about the new season of Walking Dead? No. no. What's up? So, I know, I know, I get it. Listen, I know. But I have been told by a trusted source that oh. it's actually like oh. interrogating the assumptions and worldview of the Walking Dead. It's like, actually, we're causing more problems by, like, preemptively killing people and doing a fascism. That's interesting. I did hear hear one thing about The Walking Dead. Oh, yeah? It's a spoiler, though, so I might have to bleep this out. Bleep it out. Okay, so the thing that I heard about Walking Dead is that... TV. 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 Ellen asks, why do the great fairies lose power without rupees? Is it capitalism? Do the rupee gems have inherent use, maybe for some sort of energy, power, or force? I have an explanation for yes. this. Oh, God. You know, in a lot of fiction, magic is, is sort of used as like like a, a metaphor, like emotion given, given physical form. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the power that the great fairies gain when you give them rupees is sort of a physical manifestation of the feeling a regular person might get when they receive a big paycheck. Oh. <laughs> That's great. That's very strong. I I took it to mean that it's it's effectively it's worship. They draw power from worship? Yeah. Well, I mean, they could still be getting from worship the feeling that you would get if you got a really nice paycheck. Oh yeah, definitely. These are completely compatible views yeah yeah i like this paycheck idea they're looking for their big payday and once they get their big payday they feel so good that they can give it back to you but obviously offering up your money is a form of worship it's it's tribute that you're paying and they yes fend them and they <laughs> i wish that i could orally record the look i just gave you <laughs> microphone you want me to take a picture of you i do not i haven't shaved um fuck me uh, again i completely lost my train of thought <laughs> holy shit you're just talking about the tribute and <laughs> it's worship yeah tribute worship and then uh, shut the fuck up a minute <laughs> why well, it always got to be a sex thing Hold on. Fintum isn't necessarily sexual. Crystal. Huh? For the pay pig, you're telling me it's sometimes not sexual. No, not necessarily. All I'm saying is that the great fairies repay that blessing in kind with expressions of affection that serve as protection for the people who pay tribute. Well, we know that. It's the best kind of worship where God doesn't just answer, but actually performs miracles when you pray. 
people trekked over to the great fairies. Yes. In the past. Uh huh. And then it just fell into decline. I think that Link started it and Link to the past by throwing all those rupees into their fountains. Hmm. That's what happened. Money to the shrine, you get something. Fendom, I swear to God. Ellen also asks, What is the blood moon, and why does it generate ore deposits? Are ores an evil that the calamity resurrects? Okay, Crystal, what's your read on this one? The blood moon is the manifestation of the we use memory <laughs> running out. <laughs> it is literally memory. Memory resetting. Ah. Uh. I mean, for the purposes of the world, too. So, does Crystal, does that mean that you're now on board with the idea that Zelda games within their own canon are video games? Yes. Okay. That works. Why not? If we were to describe them in non-video game terms, I would say that the Blood Moon is Ganon's power seeking to claw back to its previous state and that it drags the rest of the world back with it. Yeah. But it only works uh, like a couple weeks. Sorry. So the Blood Moon is Ganon loading his save. Basically. But Link has his own save that he's also loading. And also Zelda keeps fucking with his save file. So he can't reset the Divine Beasts. She's got the save states. She's got a Game Shark. Yeah, the Triforce. The Triforce, yes. The ultimate, the original Game Shark, if you will. The Triforce. I think that's the end of the Twitter questions. Trippy Jing has one more question. Oh. How's how's Breath of the Wild? No, I'm sorry. That's on my Twitter. We can save those for later. Yeah. Oh, Uh, you got 14 responses. Wow. Yeah. Oh, you do have way more followers than I do. Well, we should should maybe take care of Jason's email. Okay. Let me just get that opened up here real quick. Shall I read this? Yeah. This is sent in by one Jason Hawk. Subject line, A Defense of Twilight Princess. Oh boy. Hi guys. I'm about halfway through episode three of the Twilight Princess series, and I enjoy the analytical approach alongside goofy nonsense like everything being connected to Dreamworld. Cameron, just because Link dreamed about Mario doesn't mean the Dreamworlds are connected. When those other Dreamworlds are not specifically mentioned, it's more likely it's an Easter egg. This is off to a strong start. <laughs> but but what if Mario is painted and... Let me read this thing. Okay. I disagree with your interpretation of the Wind Waker's hero not being a chosen one, and with your interpretation that something was handed to T.P. Link. Hold on, this isn't just about Twilight Princess. This is about like half the show at this point. Link is named Link because he is the player's avatar in Hyrule. Link will always be the one chosen to save Hyrule, because in the context of this being a video game, he is actually the only one who can save Hyrule. Wind Waker Link was always chosen by circumstances, even if he did have to prove his worth to others. By being the player's avatar? Yeah. Is that what this line is saying? Yes. Twilight Princess is a game about overcoming the shame of failing to live up to expectations that are put upon you. Oh, that's interesting. I want to see where this is going. In Twilight Princess, you are shown to be chosen by the Triforce of Courage immediately, but in this case it serves as a mantle of Link's traditional masculine role. As a man, I am expected by society to be extroverted, hardworking, and protective of my family. 
In this game, Link is given the Triforce, but he is immediately shamed for not being able to protect the love interest, and he is cast into Twilight for it, transformed into something masculine and yet less than a man, and shunned by everyone he knows, who cannot even recognize him for who he is. I want to stop this here for just a moment, because that's a very interesting read of what goes on with Link's initial transformation, but it also runs counter to my, and I think our, collectively, understanding of how that sequence works. Because yes, Link does transform into a wolf, but the alternative there is that he would have become a shadow or a monster. Mm-hmm. And it's only by the strength of the Triforce that's granted to him that he becomes this really cool, really masculine, blue-eyed, badass wolf. Not to mention there is a golden wolf who is the embodiment of... The hero. Yeah. He has lingering regrets about not passing on his skills, but he's still, like, the ideal. Wolves in this game are very much representative of a masculine ideal, I think, rather than a refutation that... Sorry, not refutation, but um, it's not a punishment for failing to live up to the masculine ideal. They're also described as the divine beasts that would save Midna's people. They're bad motherfuckers. Wolves are cool. I like this read, though. It's a good read. I like this. This is a very good literary read. Yes, it's a good read. I I think that there's certain segments of the text that it doesn't line up with perfectly, but it's a good read. Now, I'll continue. Zelda is a character who has surrendered her kingdom in this game. She was unable to protect her people and has given up. She doesn't appear much more, because why focus on a character who has given up? I, I'd like to stop here and say, the game, <laughs> the game tries to make you feel a lot more for Zelda than she's actually featured in the game. Yes. Everybody, all the characters, feel for Zelda. Yes, especially men. And Midna. admire her actions. Or inactions. Uh. Especially Midna, and everybody's like, oh, Zelda. And it's like, actually, she's not much in the game. Midna, the social outcast dominatrix, really? lives in Twilight and cares not because she already knows that society's expectations aren't important unless you give them importance. She focuses on her own objectives and doesn't care about other people, using them to her own end. In the end, Link and Midna learn from each other. Link accepts that he has a side that just isn't what society tells him he should be, and Midna accepts that she needs her own community. At least that's what I remember. It's been a long time since I played it. Twilight Princess is better thematically than you give it credit for. Second question. How does Legend of Zelda Link kill Ganon, with three N's, without the Master Sword? Third question. In A Link to the Past, Zelda is clearly Link's sister. So Link's uncle was the real king who rightfully got a body double to protect himself. But then when he realized that Zelda was in trouble, he had to go save his daughter. Why else trek out in a storm like that? And he promptly got eaten by rats because when training in swordplay as a lad, the knights always let him win. Thank you, Jason. That that last uh, one. That was crafted towards me, I feel. I think that it was also crafted specifically for Crystal because it feels like the kind of thing Crystal might say. Really? A little bit. A smidgen. No. Yeah. Um... He's definitely drawing on the energy of this podcast with that third question. Is it a shit post? Uh, uh, mm, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, this this podcast is like 20% shit post by volume. 
20 is very charitable. Yikes. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, yes, Jason, we, we acknowledge... <laughs> what? Go on. We acknowledge that a lot of, you know, the... There are a lot of Easter eggs in the games, but it's a lot more fun interacting with the games and, you know, not simply waving off certain elements as Easter eggs and crafting them into a, a solid um, component of, you know, the history of Hyrule and lore in general. Mm. We're not interested in, in making the most likely read of Zelda lore. <laughs> Just the most interesting one. We know why Mario's portrait is there, but it's also very nice to devise, you know, a mechanism and explanation as to why the royal family would have a portrait of Mario. The ultimate lesson is that canon's made up, and we're making up an yeah. interesting version of it. And we're having fun. With and we, it. we we try to make it as watertight as we can, but the first and ultimately only goal of this podcast is going to be to craft a good time sort of story and to talk about we Zelda. made reggie retire <laughs> out of fear i i feel bad so about we have it. to apologize when he gets when he has to admit the timeline's wrong uh, well that's okay i mean we can take his retirement as apology enough and isn't it worth remarking that the game with the most Easter egg-like references is also the one where you're in a dream. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's what started the whole Nero Yeah, the versus, yeah. That's, it's a thing. It's canon. I like a reading of Twilight Princess as a criticism of masculinity, but I don't know if it holds up in the game. Yeah, I mean, the sumo wrestling alone. I was just thinking that. Well, it's the easiest thing to point out, yeah. right? What do you, you think? You think maybe this link was the progenitor of the what's what's their, what are they called? The barbarians. Oh, Z- the Z- Zonai. 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 No, he's strong. He can't flurry rush. Yeah, but he's strong. Mm. He can wrestle goats and throw big gorons. Yeah, various links have various. Sorry, medi gorons. Um. Also, I don't know if Midna really shunned her community oh she absolutely did not no. everything that she did was for her people. I, I was phrasing it in a gentler way oh, oh i'm sorry it's i'm not okay I'm not sorry. because she she goes and she is in some sense so ruthless because she's acting for her country mm. she's upset that various people are laying claim to her her title and that people are disparaging things that she sees as beautiful right but, I mean, her goals were always to work towards the saving of her people and the reclamation of her throne. You could also make the argument that it was a lot of revenge at the start. And she softened up with regards to the revenge thing. Like, she's less vengeance-driven once she starts caring about Link. Right. I mean, we all still do like Twilight Princess. Twilight Princess is one of the best games ever made. Right. It just, it doesn't, we don't love it. More than many Zelda games. I think that the way it leans into masculinity, Jason's read of the game's relationship with masculinity is compelling, mm-hmm. but I don't think that I can see it in the text as it exists right now. Zantz and Ganondorf kind of fit in there because they are both men with certain ideas of what a good kingdom is and what a good king is. 
That is to say, someone who conquers so that his people can have more and have what other kingdoms have. Mm, mm. And they're definitely not acting for those people. No, they're acting for themselves first and foremost. I could see that. That would make sense. How did let How does Yeah, you kill Ganon. You kill Ganon with the silver arrow. Yeah. Like this is a point at which before the arrival of the calamity this is just one version of Ganon who was less together than Ganon usually is, easier to disrupt, easier to destroy. Guy was a chump. Relatively speaking, a chump. I guess maybe using the power of the Triforce of Wisdom against him disrupted him in a way similar to how the Master Sword would have done, if you want to try to tie it into some textual thing. The light arrows, the silver arrows are, like, oftentimes given by the spirits of good or fragments of the Triforce or something. No, that last one, no. No, that's not a thing. Imbued by the Triforce? No. I feel like that Light arrows, is... yes. Silver arrows are not light arrows. I I guess. The silver, the closest that you've got for that is silver arrows being a blessing granted by Venus, the queen of the fairies. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Anyway, thank you for the email, Jason. Thank you. Well, that's our podcast. I'm tired. Cameron, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter, at CamWriter. You can find me at ArcaneCrystal on Twitter, and also Patreon.com slash ArcaneCrystal, where you can get podcasts like this early. Give Crystal uh, your money. You can also go over to AudioEntropy.com, which is the network this podcast is hosted on. I listen to some other great shows like uh, D Comedy, where people talk about Disney Channel original movies. BakaCast, where people talk about Haname. Uh, Let's Steal a Podcast, where people talk about Leverage. Totally Reprise, where people talk about Totally Respise. Totally Spies. And sometimes Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, boy. Would you like to hear a Zelda joke? Yes. No. Good, because Mitchell sent one in for us. Yeah. Oh, Mitchell. What is Epina's favorite region of Hyrule to run around in? What is it? La Nehru. Yeah. Oh, fuck. That's great. No. Woohoo. Do we still have a stash of jokes in a previous email? Or did we use all of those? Uh. Mm. Do we use the choo choo one? God. Was Lokimus? God willing, we have utterly run out. No. Good night, everybody. We haven't used, we haven't used the green salsa one. Bye.